You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by Sean, not nope. Rick. And instead of Rick, we are joined by Chris Birch of Modifius Entertainment. Chris, welcome back to the show. Hey, guys. How are you? Doing good. Oh, doing good. Right. I uh, I just got Skyrim, and oh, cool. I, I I have been. It has been such a joy to open the box and just to start reading the rule book, like as if I'm reading the Stormlight Archive or like my favorite. <laughs> I'm just like enjoying the rule book. I never, I, I've never been able to say that about about another game. <laughs> I just am reading for fun. Okay. It's like, yeah, that sounds very Skyrim. Yes, yes, awesome. I agree with yeah. this. It's very Skyrimy. <laughs> yeah, it does seem like the fans are having a, a, a great time. And a customer called up last night with a query and said, "Oh, and all my buddies came over and we played Skyrim last night, and we just we played for four hours, like the first mission, and it's only supposed to be like like what forty minutes." <laughs> yep. Wow. So, uh, and that is part of the thing. It's just like the video game. You know, you're on your way to this kind of cool dungeon. And then you meet, you know, then this old man's like, hey, can you help me find my horse? <laughs> and then before you know it, you're like 300 miles the other way. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's uh, snowing here now. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah so it's great. It's, yeah, it just lets you get distracted like you do in a video game and have fun doing it and uh, and be with your friends in Skyrim. That's so cool. And it's got this cool save state function where you can put cards back in the box, yeah. right? And you can pick pick it back up. So that's, that's yeah. nice. I mean, I'm 55 now and I, I, I was thinking... If I actually tried to play every war game, I've got every scenario, every board game, I, you know, like even I've got like the big pile of Joan of Arc, right? Which is just gazillions mm-hmm. of scenarios. I don't think I'd actually be able to play all of them in, before I died. <laughs> <laughs> well, as everybody knows, being a board gamer is really as much of being a collector as anything. It's like when you buy a Lego set, you build the set and then it, it exists to just sit on your shelf and you yeah, look at yeah. it and it makes you happy. Well, we forget that a lot of war game, well, let's say war gamers is probably the wrong word, but miniature game fans, miniature mm-hmm. collectors are literally collecting to to paint. And actually yeah. mm-hmm. the joke is that most miniature games are still under the bed, yep. you know, a year later. <laughs> like, well, like a lot of board games, you know, we open them and go, one day I'm going to play Twilight Imperium. <laughs> yep, yep. And, uh, better have it. We live, we live in a dream, don't yeah. we? The dream is one day I'm going to be sitting around with all my friends for five days playing this epic board game yes. and some of us are lucky to, to to do it you know gloomhaven has uh led the way in convincing people that they should get together with their friends for multiple days yeah wait till we get to yeah. our retirement homes <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, dude. Yeah. i think there's going to be a new new wave of retirement homes which are like gamer yeah. retirement home where it's yeah. only allowed to go if you know what gloomhaven risk yes. and ticket to ride is that's <laughs> so awesome like it costs three thousand dollars a month unless you bring your board game collection then it's reduced um, yeah totally yeah. imagine that imagine <laughs> that's, that's awesome. a great idea it's like um yeah, it's like Adepticon, the convention. You can trade um, to reduce your stand costs. You can give them some products to give away for the BIG bags. So, yeah, a, a retirement home where you just donate your gaming collection, it reduces your monthly costs, which would be genius. You could basically earn a living as a, you could just be a paid games master and have games master rooms, and all the kids from the local area can come in and oh, that would play be... with the most awesome games masters mm-hmm. ever with all that experience. 
Wow. Yeah, that would the problem with that I think is that retirement homes so you know, I, I it's it's a little bit morbid, but when someone goes to a retirement home, oftentimes they don't live very long. Yeah. And no, I think really the sorry. problem for these retirement homes or maybe it's a good thing for the retirement homes is that nobody would die if they were all playing D&D every week. It'd be like, no, 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 no I got to level up. I got to, I got to <laughs> hang on. You, you hang on. A reason to, I mean, I, there's also, um, there's been uh, some test homes where they bring kids in for, as a day, day crush for the, mm-hmm. for the old people. And it gives them a reason to live and, and love and kind of become yeah. obsessed with these kids and what's happening to them. And I think we, we miss a trick, you know, we kind of try and try and park all the old people like they'll go, they'll, they'll die yeah. soon. They'll be, you know, but they've just yeah. got so much they can give back. Yeah. You know, I, I love where our conversation is going. I never expected it, but it's, it's so fun. I, we used okay. to, I've got a project for when I get really old now, I'm going to create the most awesome uh, retirement home that everyone, you know, like no, old people, don't, you know, no one wants to go to a retirement home, but imagine if it was like, oh my gosh, this is the amazing thing. I have to go and live in this retirement. We'll call it the retirement tavern. Yeah. yeah. Cause everyone has to meet at the tavern and start the quest. So yeah, that's right, amazing. Okay. <laughs> so and actually that kind of weirdly enough segues us into the into the topic at hand because um so chris you and Modi- your your company modifius really specializes in rpg board game experiences in you know in addition to several other things like we talked about yeah. skyrim and whatnot yeah, yeah. but i i was very excited to speak with you about you know really to you know uh, the open gaming license of uh wizards of the coast dungeons and dragons has been making some serious waves. I didn't want to cover it in the news too early because I wanted to hear and and, and get, kind of give it time for things to flesh out a little bit more. And so that's really what our topic is about. And in particular, if I could frame it for our listeners, the reason that you might want to listen to this is because if you are a tabletop fan, an RPG maker, you have a huge opportunity right now I think it might be a good thing to start from the beginning and just give a general recap of what happened. And Chris, if you would like to do that from your perspective, that would uh, kind of help everybody else understand that might not be familiar with what the OGL even stands for. <laughs> yeah, I'll try and keep it really brief. But basically, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, well, on Earth, um, <laughs> lots of people wanted to create and publish content for Dungeons and Dragons. And they were, there was lots of people making stuff. So rather than sue them all, Wizards created this <laughs> agreement that you could put in your book that meant you could use the, the rules of D&D, not the names of things like uh, Mind Flayers and the Greyhawk and stuff, but you could use the rules and create your own D&D content. And then pretty much that has caused an explosion of content creators and, in, you know, because typically wizards do the core books and, you know, in a few campaigns, but they used to a long time ago do all these wonderful little adventure books and modules and, and tons and tons of releases. And they kind of step back from that and let everyone else do it. And so you've had all these amazing creators creating gaming content like adventures and campaigns. And here's how to add a wheelchair to D&D, which was all really awesome. Um, and, and make it fun and, and part of the game and really awesome to have. And lots and lots of other cool rule ideas that were quite niche and would never have been done by Wizards. And, and this happened, was, this was like a uh, for fifth edition, right? It was the OGL for fifth edition. Uh, I think well, it was good before yeah. that. And then they, no, they, they 3.5. They tried to change it for fourth. Four, and, yeah. um, 
uh, and, back hash. and and kind of uh, it's still in use people use ogl for fifth edition to create content and you've also got lots of like the creators who do vt well the vtt uh, tabletops you've got a lot of kind of streamers um who are running online games yeah like the critical role podcast is yeah. using the open gaming license right? yeah and and it's a it was a way you know you look at the people who created it you know um, a lot of the team who were there when it was created it was really a way of they realised that Dungeons and Dragons was a culture not a brand mm-hmm. and and I think the the um, Pax creators did a great statement this week and they they were they kind of that's where I got that from is that you know you just forget that this is a this, this is a a culture it's a movement it's not just a I mean yes there is the Dungeons and Dragons IP, but it's much bigger than that. And and the reason the reason people can find D and D is there's someone who loves D and D so much and has learned from all those other modules and and they've they've probably written some content themselves and they are their local GMs. And the the reason you have so many games masters around you is because of all the content and all the great shows and all the great you know, you know, teaching by streamers and the examples of play and the, and the amazing extra content that you can get, which if you're a games master, you tend to just buy everything you can. And the, the culture of Dungeons and Dragons exists because of that vast community network of people just making cool stuff that encourage us, encourages us all to play. And so I think it was a real misstep, especially before... Uh, a, a big movie coming out. I'm sure the movie companies are going, uh, what did you just say? <laughs> like, really? Seriously? At this time? Oh. So, um, but I think the interesting thing is it's really, you know, it's an opportunity. Like right when D&D came out, there was a lot of competitors to D&D. Well, there was a lot of people just basically using the D&D rules, you know, some rightly, some wrongly. But there was an explosion of stuff like Dungeons & Dragons. And, and so I think it's, you know, in, in their kind of slightly clumsy attempt to take more control and stop the bigger, bigger companies using their rules. And then you get into the whole legal argument of you can't really own rules because mm-hmm. rules are rules. You can't copyright them. You can copyright specific terms. Mm-hmm. In their, their attempt to take back more control, I think mm-hmm. they've really fired up the the industry the community to to get back to creating their own versions and 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 so you've had paizo lead the charge with some sounds like about 1500 creators Mm -hmm. behind them to create a new open source gaming license called the orc aptly Mm -hmm. and then lots of other people like cobalt press are doing one and a few i mean there's quite a few companies that are all going and we're and we're doing a and wording yeah. Yeah. we're yeah. outraged and this is why for only 59.95 you too yeah. can yeah no i'm spartacus <laughs> <laughs> i think the most so, troubling thing about the the changes they wanted to implement they had a caveat that said that they could change the agreement at any time and only give you know creators 30 days notice which sort of makes any type of legal yeah. agreement sort of superfluous because <laughs> if you can change the rules at any time then what yeah. are you actually agreeing to yeah and i think at the end of the day, like, and we're going to come on to what we're doing. I want to create my future competitors because I think it's really healthy. They should want there to be companies that are making stuff, making their own worlds and IPs out of D&D rules because that just lifts the whole 
player base. Yes. And that's more more people who discover Paizo will discover D&D and vice versa. You know, yeah. and Games Workshop does very well. All the other companies do really well. You know, it's it just feeds mm-hmm. into the yep. market and it does. There's enough companies that feed back. You know, if you mm-hmm. discover War Machine, you probably know Warhammer or you will discover Warhammer, you know, so it goes both ways. Like you go into a gaming shop, you're going to discover everything that's there. And D&D is always going to get the lion's share of attention because it has so much content. But I really think it's fascinating how it's encouraged so much. It's just, it's been a kind of injection of adrenaline into everyone going, you know, yeah, we should make our own stuff and, and make it better and different and actually let's create more 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 things ourselves and not be so reliant on you know a major major corporation which i mean at the end of the day it's their brand so if they really you know they're the ones that coughed up the money to buy it so you know you could argue that they they should be able to do what they want but there is this you know the ogl that exists and there's a lot of legal arguments about about whether you can change it whether you can't change it that's a rabbit hole that you could spend hours talking about and I think the spirit of it is that they shouldn't. They should just, you know, that that ship has sailed. And and focus on focus on building Dungeons and Dragons and the amazing IP that it is. We all love Dungeons and Dragons. Like no one is saying it sucks. Yeah. Everyone loves it. Like it's it's like our first love for gaming. I my first game ever was D and D when I was about eight years old, and it changed my life. And that's why I'm here now. So we're all going to go back to it at some point. And I think they should be embracing that. And who, who knows? They've got this survey out now, which is asking people what they think. And um, let's hope that there's some real genuine. It feels like they've, they've had a change of heart. They've, they've made a lot of changes. But I think the problem with the new, the new OGL, I think it's 2.0 now, that, that they're proposing is that you can only it only covers RPGs and uh, BTT. So if you want to build a brand, which is what we're, we want to encourage people to. I think everyone should have a brand in, in when you're creating. Um, it really limits you to that. And that's I think that's the problematic part of it. One thing you said, Chris, is that you all, all of this has sort of reinvigorated people's interest in tabletop role-playing games. One thing is, it's interesting, you know, having a meeting with your team this week, we, we noticed that there's been a huge uprise in 2D20 sales <laughs> as a result yeah. of all of this commotion. So yeah. I think people are exploring alternative uh, ways of you know, experiencing tabletop role-playing games. So on the on the note of that, why didn't you use 5e? How come you created your own you know system? And maybe tell us a little bit about what makes your system unique as opposed to the 5e system. And and actually, when did you create that system too? Uh, okay, yeah. So when we when we first started, we did Acton Cthulhu R. Cthulhu universe game using the Call of Cthulhu rules and the Savage Worlds rules because I was, you know, when I did my research, I was like, well, there's definitely two audiences for this kind of story. One is a pulp audience and one is the dark, dangerous, uh, you know, kind of Call of Cthulhu audience. And let's just put both sets of stats in the book. Why not? And, um, but the result is you couldn't sell a core book. We couldn't, we couldn't, the, you know, the Call of Cthulhu license deal was like, you're making supplements that sells the Call of Cthulhu core book. And, you know, one of the problems is you're selling this at a convention and then the, the customer's like, okay, but what do I need? Oh, you need the Call of Cthulhu book. Well, where can I get that? Uh, they're not here. <laughs> yeah. Maybe go and try the shop. And then they're like, okay, well, I won't buy it now then. So I, I realized we needed to have something that we could sell the core book because core books outsell supplements five to one minimum. Yep. 
like it's one... like a base game and expansion you're gonna sell five times as many base games as you will expansions you right yeah, totally and and so when we did Nice and chronicles we kind of came up with the idea of creating our own system originally it was 5d 20. <laughs> it was crazy uh you in the in 2d20 you can roll as many as 5d20 but yeah we had a lot of fun coming up with it and jay little got involved we, we hired him to kind of really refine our kind of mad ideas into an actual workable professional game system and then it's really evolved since then and that was a turning point because now we can sell here's the book you just need this core book go off and play and when you want more stuff we've got more supplements and things but it was really critical to for us to be able to control our destiny to have our own gaming system and we knew it was an uphill battle it was like we did think at the time should we just use ogl but there weren't really there's not a lot of good and well-reviewed far future or modern day style games using the dd20 system it's not ideal really and we wanted a system that we really we could customize and do all kinds of stuff with and we had all this sort of ideas for new new mechanics uh, which is like our we wanted to be way more narrative you know and because my first role-playing game i created was star blazer adventures with um uh with the fate system and um you know, so I I didn't want to create something as as uh, I was going to say fluffy. That's wrong word, but as narrative as fate, because I find a lot of people want a bit more crunch, and we wanted it to be a step away from deep from Dungeons and Dragons, from deep from D twenty, but not like alien to them. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> even though we were like, oh, well, we roll low on our on on TD twenty, whereas D and D rolls high, so it was still a bit different. So, um, you know, we, we refine that every time we do a new 2D20 game, we kind of throw everything out the window. It's like, well, look, as long as it rolls 2D20 and there's this kind of uh, familiar system of like threat uh, that the, the players have a bit of control over their destiny, like you can do stuff that generates threat, which is basically like in Star Trek, if I want to take a a type two phaser or a disruptor rifle, which is really, you know, they can level cities uh, on a mission and away team. That's me saying, uh, I really hope there's some Borg because there's going to be some Borg, isn't there, GM? And the GM's like, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and he's like, because when you take a disruptor rifle, you throw in like three threat, threat into the pool. And that's the player saying, I want to dial up the action. I want more cool stuff to happen. I want to get captured. I want to have to escape. I want like to have loads of enemies turn up. I want the bad guys with crazy powers. Like, give me it all. I'm giving you yeah. the. It's a. Feedback. It's like almost. Uh, I uh, heard this a long time ago. Emergent narrative versus written narrative. You're kind of yeah. uh, as the player. It's the player telling the GM through the game mechanics amp up. And I really yeah. love that a lot versus yeah. something like you know, that that's written that you have to read through. It's like, oh, now is the capture it, mission. It also helps teach the GM how to GM because mm -hmm. you have a mechanic. You don't, I mean, look, in any game, you can just say, you open the door, there's 10,000 orcs there. Yeah, I guess you're dead. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you can do that in every game. In, in 2D20, you could write that in if you want. You, I don't think many people would come to your next session. But <laughs> in 2D20, you use those threat mechanics to spend and go, okay, I've pet, there's another squad of orcs through the door, but I've just used up that threat that you gave me because you, you want some cool action, right? So anyway, so we, you know, we kind of rebuild the, it's a bit like a car company. Every different car has kind of got the same tech 
but it's a different, you know, you've got a sports model, you've got the kind of round the town, low energy economy model, you've got the kind of family car SUV version. So we re-engineer the game system and the latest IP we're developing at the moment, we literally totally changed the economy. It's much more about, I mean, I won't go into too much detail, but there's a lot of different changes in it. And I'm not afraid to reinvent our game world, much like, you know, some people are like, no, 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 it has to, this is the mechanics, you don't change it, like, even though it sucks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, like some companies, like, you cannot put their logo on red, like, don't care. Like, so yeah. if our logo looks great on red, yeah, oh, brilliant. Yeah. I don't, you know, that's fine. It's, um, I don't like to be too tied. Rules are meant to be broken in my world. You know? Yeah. You know, so we, we, we but we realized though that, you know, there are many systems out there. And of course, we've we've put Star Trek on it, Fallout, June. So we've got a lot of big licenses that draw people in. But I, I really wanted to be able to uh, help people create their own worlds. We've, we've helped, uh, you know, we helped Freely get up and running. We co-published um, uh, Mutineer Zero with them. And they're now one of our biggest competitors, but we're all friends and help each other out. And, uh, you know, we've helped a lot of other little partners through our Via Modifius program. But... I think things like the OGL and open source is great. You know, it's great if you've got a plan, you know what you're doing, and you just want to go off and create and do your thing. Brilliant. But what about, the, and there's so many people we find in the industry who they don't know how to get art. They don't know how to do layout. They maybe want, need a bit more help uh, up and they're happy to pay a cut in return for that help. So, you know, we created this system called World Builders, which is really, it's, uh, it's a more curated uh, system where, and it works just the same as the other drive-through RPG content programs that Chaosium has and the DMs Guild and things like that. So on drive-through, you get basically 70%. They take 30% as a cut, whatever, you know, we, we lose 30% to drive-through when we publish all our, our games in PDF on there. So as part of the program, they still get their 30%. Uh, the creator gets 50 and we get 20%. And then what we're doing is putting our 20% into art packs. So we just, we put out uh, about 200 pieces of art for Acting Cthulhu for the program. Um, we've got a sci-fi pack coming, a fantasy pack. So there'll be packs of art, which are free if you're part of the program to use to help illustrate your products. Because that's one of the biggest, you know, problems people, people face. Um, we're going to be running regular seminars telling you how to create IP how to how to get pub, how to publish under the program how to change the 2d20 system how to run your budget for your product to make sure you're actually making money because we find a lot of the issue is people actually aren't making the money they think they are because they spent so much <laughs> on other things so we're going to publish a budget sheet uh, uh, a google worksheet that people can use to budget i mean anyone can use that really but it, you know, it's really designed to, we'll be taking creators through the sheet going, this is how you should put your costs in. Because we want to, like I said, I want to create my future competitors. I want people to do so well with our program. They're like, hey, we don't need you anymore. We're going off and we're writing our own system and thanks, you know, and that we end up trading cool games at Gen Con in, you know. <laughs> I think that's so cool. I, I love what your your attitude and just your understanding of the way the the industry works is so evident to me in what all the things that you had said because one of the things about games you know i i you know i look over at my shelf and i have you know 150 on on my shelf or 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 so and i have a lot of empty room and i will be filling that eventually 
And then when it's all completely filled, if I can't get any more shelves, I'll sell old games that I don't play that much and make room for new ones. And I think that um, one of the tenets that I've seen in the board game, tabletop RPG and video game industry is people buy lots and lots of stuff, Mm. (laughs) lots and lots of stuff. And, you know, the only competition one RPG has over another, it seems to me, other than loyalty, learning the system and that sort of thing where a GM might not want to, you know, learn one system and then play another game that they have to learn a new system the next week. Um, it's just the the only other competitor is, I guess, or the, the, the competition is over how much money I have this month, how much disposable income I have this month. I have to buy this product this month, that product next month. That's a great place to be, I think, in, in an industry like this. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, we're lucky that, you know, we have a lot of customers, a lot of products on sale, but the more we can develop the community, of course, if we get lots of people creating uh, 2D20 based games, uh, though the fans who discover those games are going to go, what else is with 2D20? And they're going to find that there's a Dune role playing game or a Fallout role playing game or Acting Cthulhu or Homeworld and so on. So, you know, it's, there is a, a plan there because it's going to drive interest. So some programs typically have a core book and they want you to make the supplements to sell the core book. So we don't have that. We just think that, you know, it, it's fine if someone just makes their own world and the people buy that game and they don't look at anything else because, you know, this is part of us giving back to the community because we've got to a size where we where our regular mail out, go, you know, uh, goes to 100,000 people every week. And so when there's some cool content, we can go, hey, look, check out. And this is my joke world. There's this new uh, Ninja Corns universe with uh, um, rainbow unicorns with rocket launchers. This is like my kind of example. I keep using. And, you know, it's by Chris and um, it's really awesome. And go and check it out. And then hopefully a load, you know, they sell a load more because they just got exposed to this enormous audience. And we're also building a very focused 2D20 community, which we're, you know, there's a huge community now on, on uh, Discord, which are kind of talking about the rules and how to find art and advice and publishing ideas. And and for, I'm just like, literally, guys, you don't need a layout. You don't need artwork. Um, I, when I discovered Five Parsecs from Home, which is this kind of procedural RPG-like war game by Ivan Sorensen, it was a big seller on drive through and it was basically a Word document with no art. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just a great game. And I just, I've said to people, just get stuff out there. Don't get held up because, oh, I can't afford cool artwork like you guys. And, and that, I mean, that's our, our 20% is going into paying for artwork that can be shared and everyone can use. So hopefully that won't even be that excuse. They can just grab some artwork to, as a cover. But, um, you know, I'm trying to lower the barrier. So the mental barrier to publish. So people can be like, okay, I've got the 2D20 rules. There's all these seminars I can listen to and check out and get advice on how to change those rules. Um, They're going to, you know, they're going to promote this. I'm going to get in front of a big audience. Like, you know, I often said uh, said to people, some, you know, people were like, ah, but why do I need to pay you 20%? I could just go and do it for free. It's like, yeah, great. That's that's fine. But if someone said to you, I'll I'll put your game in a mail out for 100,000 people, what would you pay for that? Yeah. To, yeah, of hardcore yeah. people, are of tabletop gamers, to receive. you purchase yeah. things. 
Yeah. And then, and what if there was like a free, you know, um, 10 grand's worth of, of free art that you could use that's going to save you, yeah. you know, maybe you would have spent uh, 500 bucks on artwork. And, you know, so there's a point where you, if you actually run the budget, this budget line, which hopefully will help people understand better, you go, actually, like, it's cheaper for me to just give them 20% than go and pay for all this stuff myself, you know? Right. And, then, and I hope that through our program, they'll sell five times as much as if they were on their own as just one of the many, you know, the, and we know there's so many creators who are doing OGL style content and there will be even more uh, coming. So it's, it's a great time to create, but it's also going to be even more competitive because of all mm. the stuff out there. So that's why yeah. I hope our program really helps lift people up. Like I said, my real passion is to give people a chance. I'm really fortunate. We've got this big company of 70 people. We're doing really well. We've had a lot of success. And I feel like it's, you know, now's the time to give back and help creators have a crack at doing that. So one day, you know, this is where they could start and have a big company in yeah. 10 years. I'm much more interested in helping create successful entrepreneurs than just teaching people how to write games, you know. You know, I think that the the attitude that you have is is awesome. Uh, and it reminds me of the old school Blizzard, you know, the, the team at Blizzard before they were purchased by Activision. It seemed like a team of idealists and visionaries that wanted to basically make a game they wanted to also play. And they were fans of their own world, just like, a, you know, the regular guy, even though, you know, Chris Metzen or the other big names um, at Blizzard were big money makers and all of that. They also were able to kind of see from the perspective of their player as a fan of the product themselves. And that really definitely, you know, the, the, the moves they made endeared their company to their fans so much that of course they came, they started BlizzCon. They, you know, and that just, I actually went to the first and second BlizzCons and I remember buying tickets for the very first BlizzCon. They sold tickets on this third party website and there were, hundreds of thousands of people trying to buy tickets at that moment. Yeah, that's crazy. Times. For maybe like 20,000 tickets, I guess. Yeah, it's like trying to pick up a ticket to a huge band that's doing their last gig ever and stuff like that. So it's, um, yeah. yeah when you build a really vital community, like a, a community is full of so much energy and enthusiasm for a brand, that's, you know, that's when you can really you can really win, you know, as a company as well as, you know, but it, mm -hmm. again, you, you grow beyond the brand then it's like, we, we do want to create. And I've said, you know, I just don't think an open source, open source is great and it's great for lots of people, but I personally don't think an open source game for us is the right route to create success. Yep. And, and for me, I want to create future uh, entrepreneurs and this curated system we've come up with, and I also like being different. I don't want to just be, and I think it's amazing what Paizo are mm -hmm. doing. And, and, you know, and I know Eric Mona there and, you know, it's brilliant and we encourage them and, you know, happy to promote all of that. But our little program is I'd rather have 10% of what we would have with an, you know, an open source thing, but really help see those 10% of people go on to really big success. And to know that that was kind of somewhat down to our, our little fledgling program uh, coming together, which I'm also will, will change over time. You know, we made a few edits to the legals with drive through, you know, they've, we've made sure it's very clear that you own your own content. 
when if you create your IP. Uh, we've also got an Act and Cthulhu version where you can create licensed content, but the anything you create for Act and Cthulhu becomes part of Act and Cthulhu, the brand. Mm-hmm. The other part of the and it's much like every time we everything we create for Star Trek becomes owned by CBS. It's yep. it's kind of welcome to the world of licensing. We want to train you to create licensed content because one day you're going to go out and get a license for the mm-hmm. game world. And so we need, you need to understand this, how licenses work. And then the other part of the program is anything you create for 2D20 becomes usable by the rest of the community. So if you come up with like this really cool new spaceship battle mechanic, anyone else can use it. And you can use their ideas too. So it's very much mm-hmm. about kind of growing the 2D20 kind of rules base for people and, and sharing ideas and creative solutions. And what yeah, I'm hearing you, is oh, that you're, you're jumping in as a partner. It's not like we're this corporation and go go make content slaves and we're going to profit from it. It's, it's pretty much we're in this with you. We're going to mentor oh, yeah, you. Oh, yeah, for sure. And That's you, why we're committing to all this promotion. I mean, we also have a commercial license. So for people who are a bit more, and I don't mean big companies, but just people who kind of know they've done a bit of publishing already, they, they, they know how to make a, look, a book look nice. So we've also got a commercial program where we only take 10% of the core book of the, of the net receipts and 5% of any supplements because we know they sell less, right? And, um, and that program comes with uh, us consulting with them on the development of the game and a press release from Modifius to say this game's coming out to retail and um, actual marketing support. So actually... We do even more for less money, <laughs> uh, but that's because pe- the people don't, you know, they don't need as much help from us. Yep. And, but that's really about, you know, really helping to, you know, so I, I'd hope that some people might move up from the world builders program into the commercial program because they're like, I created my unicorns and rocket launchers world on drive through, but you know, it's so big. I want to do a Kickstarter. They can't do a Kickstarter with drive through because you have to be a drive through. So it's like, okay, well, look, we're going to move you over to our, commercial program and we'll help you you know we'll give you the push. refer them to us we we want we yeah, to sure. work with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well you know, maybe they'll be like i want to make my own game system and we'll we'll wish them well so it's um you know i love making game systems you know that's what i do when i'm on holiday i'll sit there with a notebook and dream up mechanics and <laughs> that's how i chill out and you know i don't blame anyone for going well 2d 20 was great but i just want to make my own gaming world because that's mm-hmm. what we all aspire to i'd love to know that people get to do that and we we gave them the leg up and the confidence to do it and another thing you're doing is you're also matching or you're you're rewarding early adopters because you're matching certain sales through drive-through rpg so people have a bit of incentive to get their stuff out quickly and start making sales that's right the first five pieces of content of ten thousand words or more were matching um their first hundred dollars in royalties so doubling their first royalties and then the whatever the, the first piece of content Sorry, from the first six months, the piece of content that we just think is really cool, we're going to give them another five hundred dollars of matched royalties as well. So hopefully, that, awesome. you know, it's a bit of an incentive to to get creating and just stick something out that's fun. Yeah, and and also the cream rises to the top, right? It, those those people will tend to be maybe the ones that um, have potential to just take it as far as as. As yeah. you kind of envision is is possible, right? Then it's you know then it's down to the selling. I mean, we'll be talking about the content in our newsletters and helping drive interest to them, at least people to check it out, giving them advice. 
but you know we'll hopefully see that the, the games that are good will sell more and they'll get more attention they'll do more products they'll create more we'll give them more help and um, and that they, re, you know, really real develop from them. Well, going back to the OGL, the effect that that has had on the RPG table, tabletop RPG community as as mm. a, a whole has been really incredible. Um, number one, it, it definitely drove. Uh, there were new news cycles that just were. It felt like a new article here, there, and everywhere was popping up about the OGL and whatnot on mainstream sites, and yeah, then people were talking about it others were saying what the heck is going on i have no idea what that is and I, I personally feel like half of sales is just getting somebody to ask what is that so you're getting a lot of people that all of a sudden now know that there's something going on even though they're not quite sure what it is and it's negative with with dungeons and dragons um, yeah and then you know many companies in response it seems were you know offering alternative solutions but I wanted to kind of, you know, center back on the GMs because it seems to me that the GM, um, the one who is really the one who buys the core book and teaches the players how to, you know, how to use the rules and, and leads the games and that kind of thing. Those mm. are, in my opinion, like the cash cows or the alpha gamers of the. Oh, the they are. Without world. GMs, a role-playing game is dead. Like if, yeah. if no one's running the game then the players can't find the game. And I discovered Dungeons and Dragons by being a player and then coming away from those sessions over the course of a few weeks going, I want this for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I remember getting the, the box with the dragon on the front. I think I, they call it, the, I think it's the black box version. And just pouring over the rules and crit and then reading that first adventure in search of the unknown, like going, Oh my gosh, I didn't realize that was there. <laughs> like all the secrets we didn't discover when we did it. And then um, uh, and feeling a bit guilty that I discovered some secrets when, you know, from being a player. But then wanting to write all my own adventures, which were terrible. They were like mm -hmm. just, you know, <laughs> full of monsters with another 10 foot square room with a monster in it with treasure. Yeah. And yep. giving away all the cool treasure items, like way too soon. There's a plus yeah. one sword in every room. <laughs> the average player might not really care or just, you know, might see this news pop up. Like, whatever, I, I, I don't, it doesn't affect me. Mm -hmm. But if the GMs in the community start turning away from D&D, then, then you've got a real problem. And, you know, there'll be people who just, they're just playing and they're GMs. And, but, you know, their GMs rely on this community halo of, of creation. You know, this, you know, the, the shows talking about it, the, the live plays, the um, uh, community created content to give them more ideas and give them, you know, adventures to play. You can't just keep playing all the official adventures all the time. You know, at some point you need to dig deeper if you're especially if you've got a session every week or some people have got like two or three gaming groups um, each month so we uh you know i think that's that's the shame that that it's created this upset in the community and outrage and and i think there's a lot of fake outrage of just because so many like bits of fake news and it's like outrage over everything and it's like okay what's well, also how people monetize youtube right for cessationalized oh uh, yeah clickbait so yeah. there's an incentive to sort of hype things up and make it a yeah. bit more dramatic <laughs> yeah i mean but also the fact that that contributed to people enough people getting outraged to kind of cancel their beyond subscriptions that probably contributed to wizards 
taking a step back and going, oh gosh, like we really did misstep here. Yeah. So, you know, to and search- a real quick clarify for what, what it is that you just said, for those that might not understand, Wizards of the Coast has this pl- program called D&D Beyond and it's uh, a monthly yeah. subscription, right? Yes, that's right. So, and, um, uh, which is a whole, no, another whole story, but, you know, lots of people were uh, canceling their subscriptions. We don't really know how many, but a lot. <laughs> to do it, you've got to go through a customer service process and it was creates a ticket and allegedly they had thousands and thousands and thousands of tickets just as they just as they'd cut back on their customer support team. So that must have been enough of a, a red flag internally. And we, you know, we know that a lot of a lot of the people internally are D&D fans that the, cre- the creative team are all, you'd probably say, on our side and have been like back. And hopefully this was enough evidence for them to go. Do you see now? <laughs> like this is what we've been saying would happen, and it happened. And will you just now listen to us, please? And hopefully, that's now the case. So um, yeah, because you had you had some bigwigs inside Wizards of the Coast that were working on D and D that were like, hey, you know, D and D is under monetized, and we're gonna find ways to get it to make more money. And yeah, I think that's. I think part of the issue they they got. I think you know, if you look back, they got scared by there was this. Um, a, a kind of rebel shareholder group trying to agitating for wizards to be broken out into its own entity and there was probably a lot of pressure on like okay how can we earn more money and, and now they've indicated that the top tier of D beyond would be 30 dollars a month and you wouldn't be able to use homebrew content at the basic level which is nuts i mean everyone homebrews rules and you know that's double what you pay for the xbox game pass so i i i think They've lost the plot a bit in terms of of you know what you should charge for a subscription, um, you know, and uh, and you know maybe the the main one that people are going to pay is only ten dollars and thirty dollars is the premium premium crazy deluxe you're uh, and that gives you you know but if it's for every player the indication is that's everyone at the table is going to pay thirty dollars it's you know if it was thirty dollars and that's the GM. I could I could see that with all the right tools and access to every single book that exists, and you know maybe there's a, an argument for it, but um, yeah, it's a tricky one. I think I think you know they've made it becomes money. a gym membership at that point. It's like yeah, uh, yeah. The th- I believe it's thirty dollars is the the number that a person will say this is expensive enough that I cannot let this recur on my credit card every month. Yeah. Whereas something like nine ninety five. Is, yeah. yeah, you know, because that's, and... that's Netflix and Amazon Prime mm-hmm. and things like that, you know. So, yeah, yeah I th- like I said, I think I want to reinforce that we all love D&D and it's I think we're all a bit sad, saddened by these events and just wish we could all get on and just play D&D. Right. And mm-hmm. and but at the same time, it's a creative moment in time because all these you know creators are being inspired to do uh, and, and take control of their their worlds and their IPs and, you know, the mm-hmm. stuff they're creating. And, um, you know, I'd like to think that in a year we'll all look back and go, actually, a lot of good came of that. And um, <laughs> who knows? The next few weeks will tell. Yeah, you know, I think that the fragmentation of the RPG community right now, as you had kind of alluded to, there are going to be a ton of people that never even hear of this that are just going to play and continue playing and that just you know immediately adopt the D and D one rules and and other things like that, and mm-hmm. and I think that um, I always I, I try to caution people not to buy into the outrage and and hype and whatnot, but actually see 
from you know from a holistic perspective what's what's really happening because you know you've got social media you have a lot of very very vocal people that actually end up making you know up a, a tiny tiny portion of the overall audience there are mm. a lot of people that don't even use facebook that oh, yeah. are hardcore tnd players yeah. and you know i i think that it's it can be it can feel quite overstated like oh no now dnd is gonna just fall by the wayside uh no yeah, i mean <laughs> you you got to think about the their revenues and the size of the business that you know i i hazard a guess that maybe i don't know 85 percent of the dnd audience will never understand what this was about probably won't even read it and mm-hmm. um and they'll just keep playing it, it the, i think that the key thing though is you know where you've got to be careful like we talked about gms gms are the people are your influencers within the community that are much more widely read much more widely aware and and D sales rely on games mm-hmm. masters running gaming sessions in your local community and getting you signed up so if they start to turn aside for whatever reason then you know it's that's when things might get a bit wobbly so that they're safe in the long term you know but it was interesting how like there was a, a stock market report going don't invest in wizards <laughs> um you know that's that's nuts when you get that kind of stuff um yeah and I, you know i don't think i think they're probably pretty safe you know they're not gonna you know they've also got magic magic mate makes a lot of money so um yeah one more thought to kind of expand um uh, on the idea behind the gm being the the core influencer we you know every once in a while we'll get uh, uh somebody that is very passionate about their rpg and it's a brand new game system that they've been working on for a long time they mm-hmm. want to go to kickstarter and and make it a real thing and it's actually very difficult in my view to get a brand new rpg system adopted on kickstarter people have this idea that you mm-hmm. know like chris metzen had his like I forget what it's called, the Arabaros campaign that they did a while back. I can't remember if that was a, a 5e rule set or if it was his own rule set, but that campaign did 1.2 million. But rather, you know, and then of course the Avatar campaign yeah. did a did like four million. But I find it difficult to to have like huge Kickstarters for brand new RPGs for from first time creators. Um, how would you what what advice would you give for a first time creator that's going to Kickstarter? that wants to get people to adopt their game, how would they talk to and get those influencers on their side? Well, I think one of the key things is making sure you're, you know what your USPs are, your unique selling points. Like um, I get lots of pitches for new RPGs and it's just a, a modern retelling of a, an existing system. There really isn't anything new or they, they can say, oh, it's all these different things that are different, but actually when you go, but what actually is different that it's, it's just in their opinion, you know, Yeah. it's very hard to pin down. You've got to be, make sure that our game, you can start playing our role-playing game in five minutes from the moment you open the book or three combat scenes can be played within an hour. You know, like what makes this game better than the competition? Mm -hmm. Or is it the fact that it's the avatar license and then that gives you a lot of room, you know, it still should be a good game. Uh, and it bringing in a license or like, oh my gosh, the artwork is just purely stunning. Or it's like unicorns with rocket launchers. This is awesome. I've always wanted a game with unicorns. You know, like what is it that makes you stand out to the competition? It's not just another like, okay, fantasy art and elves and dwarves again. And, 
you know it's, it's there's got to be something unique and, and different about it and and then that will help you get those influences because they'll they're all gamers too they'll like what they see so that's fantastic well thanks chris for your time it's been a real pleasure no problem i was happy to come back another day awesome no and hey real quick uh, where can people find information about the 2d20 system and your Okay, so if they go to um, World, uh, the World Builders page on uh, Modifius.com. We'll clear the link in the show notes. Yeah. And uh, we'll, yeah, we'll make sure you've got the links. All right. Great. Thanks, Chris. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. For more resources, articles, and to listen to past podcasts, please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy.